Let me hear you say anticipation. Anticipation. Let's try it again. Anticipation. It's a word we talked about at Christmas time. I don't know if you remember that. Expectation, anticipation. It's a word we use in our feelings. We're waiting for something to arrive. We've longed for something we've expected. And then it comes. You know, it's that anticipation. Well, it's, a, it's going to describe a group of people that we're going to look at today, the Israelites. We're going to go into our Bibles, and we're going to look at these people who are moving across the desert wilderness. They could not wait to cross the Jordan River and go into this promised land. So grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, we have some in the back. We'll bring one to you. Just raise your hand, wave to it. We'll get one for you. Thanks, Mike. Exodus, just kidding, Joshua, chapter 3, do we have it up there? We're going to go to Joshua 1 first, but um, Joshua is where you're turning right now. Okay? We think back to the story that we're going to read about in Joshua, but even give you a little bit of background. There's over a million people plus that were enslaved in Egypt. And these people were praying that someday, someday God would free them. So led by Moses, the people exited Egypt like children leaving a school, heading into summer vacation. They were excited to get out of there. They were so pumped. But for these people, it wasn't just about leaving Egypt. They were entering a promised land, a place that God said, this is going to be your home. I promised it to you. We'd go back to Genesis chapter 15 in our Bibles, and we'd open up and we'd see how God first spoke to a man by the name of Abram. His leader's name was changed to Abraham. But at this point in time, God promised Abram descendants that outnumbered the stars. He took Abram outside and he said, look at the stars. I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber those stars. Which was a huge promise because at that point in time, Abram didn't have one child. God said this, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. He went on to tell Abram in Genesis 15, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they'll be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I'll punish that nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away. They will exit, they will exodus away with great wealth. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. That's my promise to you, Abram. You have all these descendants and they will come back to this promised land hundreds of years from now. So over 500 years later, many patriarchs later, many promises that were being reminded of. Remember when God promised this? Remember, remember, remember? So 500 years later, Abraham's descendants were freed from their oppression. They left Egypt with wealth as promised. They were returning to a promised land as promised. However, those who left Egypt, the millions that left, that exited Egypt, only two saw the promised land. Well, actually, more than two saw the promised land, but due to disobedience, when the 12 spies were sent in to spy out that land, only two came out, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, we can conquer this, and according to God's promise, this is our land, but the other 10 spies said, no, and they came up with some false reports, and everybody got fearful and panicked, and they disobeyed Moses. So guess what? God said, then you can all go wander in the desert another 40 years until you all die off, except Joshua and Caleb. And then you can come back to the promised land. So actually only two that left Egypt got to go into this promised land. 40 years later, we have Joshua, 
who was commissioned by Moses, ready to enter this promised land. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into land that I'm giving you. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot will be on land that I've given you. We'll stop there. Because I want you to hear what all begins with Joshua, this commander. God says, I'm commissioning you. I'm putting you in charge now. Moses is gone. you the man. Did you ever feel that way before when somebody says, you the man? You're like, to do what? To lead where? God says, you got this. Wherever you put your foot, that's yours because I gave it to you. So that's how the conversation starts. That's how the commissioning goes. As God commissions him, we're going to skip through the rest of this chapter. We're going to come back to this chapter in a couple weeks. Okay? So you just sort of turn the page. In chapter 2, we got about Rahab. Well, we just talked about Rahab at Christmas. Go to chapter 3. Because the story that I want you to hear this morning, but I want to give you the sort of the beginning, sort of the introduction, but I want to go to chapter 3. It's in chapter 3 where we move forward to the point where the Israelites, they're about ready to cross the Jordan River and enter this promised land. The land was spied out. It parallels how the people crossed the Red Sea when they left Egypt. And we need to remember all those people who crossed the Red Sea, they saw the Red Sea part and they walked across on dry ground. The same people who saw the, the plagues in Egypt and they saw God's hand at work in the miracles, we have to remember, they're all gone. They didn't see that. These people now come to a Jordan River. They've not seen what God has done. They've heard the stories. They've been great stories around the campfire. Maybe before they got tucked in at bed at night, mom and dad would tell them, there's a God that we serve part of the Red Sea, and they go on and share the story. But as we read from Joshua chapter 3, let's pick up there in verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Echel Grove. They arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. They come to the Jordan River, and they stop. And they don't just stop. They camp out. Set up your tents, people. We're coming here to cross. Are we? No, we're going we're gonna to camp for a while. Camp, I thought we were crossing Jordan River to, to go into this promised land. Oh, we will, we will. Right now, I just want you to camp out. We're going to take three days, three-day camping trip. We've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, Joshua. Yes, and we're going to camp out for three days by the river banks. Why don't you think about this? Because as they're sitting by the Jordan River, they probably went out to the edge of the bank of the river and maybe tilted their head and said, yeah, that's a fast-flowing river, and it's deep. And the questions maybe come up. How are we going to cross? It brings to attention the fact that this is just one big obstacle before we enter this promised place. How do we handle obstacles in our lives? How many times have we in our own life We've sat down and we look at something, maybe it's a financial statement, maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's something at work, maybe it's something within the church, and we sit there and say, look at this obstacle. <laughs> Ooh, God, how are we going to take care of this obstacle that sits in front of us? Sometimes we have to go places we've never gone. We have to do things we've never done. 
But we have to do that in order to achieve something we've never achieved. And now it sounds like I'm a coach, right? Because isn't that what coaches do or a teacher? We help people achieve things they've never achieved before because they won't do what they need to do in order to achieve what they have to achieve. Does that make sense? They say it too fast. Cross the river, never done that before. <laughs> Oof, never done that before. Oh, wait, that brings up a new word, change. We're gonna have to change this? We gotta change how we're doing something? Change, I don't like the word change. Change is hard. That means we have to let go of control. I've always done it this way and I like doing it this way. I'm so used to it, but we're gonna change. Ah, uh, change isn't good. I want you to think about what's going on with the people of Israel as they stand at the riverbank. When they look at this obstacle, they start questioning God. They start thinking about the change in their life. You see, this is where anticipation and joy was finally there. We're leaving the desert, the promised land for years, over 500 years. We are here in that anticipation, that joy. It's like, I can't wait for Christmas for another year because it's like, I want a Christmas with snow. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I was a little disappointed this year. Matter of fact, when we had our snow just a few weeks ago, it's like, now I can play the Christmas music. No, it's January, I can't do that. It's, it's, a, it's a rule, right? Oh, I gotta wait another 11 months till I can play Christmas music, hopefully with snow. That's a year I'm gonna have to wait. They had 40 years. Can you imagine waiting 40 years for something you really wanted? A year's tough, but 40 years? Wow. They sat there for three days and they're, they're waiting. You know what happens in three days of sitting by a river? There's plenty of time to hear the river rushing. Have you ever been by a river that's at flood stage and the water's just going and you watch maybe debris just sort of like floating down the river at a fast pace over there? It's almost like a whole tree, a big trunk. Oh. And then they're thinking in their minds, I'm crossing it. There's a lot of time to think. There's a lot of time to ask questions, how we're gonna get across. Hey, we can build a boat or a bridge. Wait a minute, we've lived in the desert for over 40 years. <laughs> we don't even know what those are, really. We've never really seen one constructed before. I've never seen a bridge in the middle of the desert to cross over a sand dune. Hmm. Maybe we get swept away. Let's look at verse two. Let's pick up verse two. Three days later, Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your position and follow them. And since you've never traveled this way before, they'll guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Yes, finally we're ready, right? Here come the instructions, and they're very specific. Here's the first thing. When the Ark moves, you move. Okay. When the ark moves, you move. God says, when it's time to go, you go. And when the people looked at the ark of the covenant, that was God. That symbolized God's presence. And when you see God's presence moving, move with it. And for us, what does that mean? Hey, when you see godly things happening, be a part of it. You see something awesome happening in the church, get involved. You see God at work, get involved with that work. Sometimes it's easier to complain about something that's going on. Well, here's, here's our choice. We can move with God or we can complain about it, right? And sometimes it's not a matter of, well, I can't. Sometimes it's a matter of, I won't. We've got to change that into, I will. 
Here's the second thing we find out. We're supposed to follow, not lead. We're not supposed to take charge, but follow the direction that God gives. In verse 4, it says, Since you never traveled this way before, hmm, let me ask you this. Are there things in your life you've never done before? And it's sort of like, okay, God, how should I do this? How about I just take charge and go? And God's saying, you've never been that way before, have you? No. And how about you follow me? Why don't you follow me? It sounds sort of contradictory to what we're fed at leadership conferences. I tell you, I've been to plenty of leadership conferences. And then, then we've got leadership meetings, we've got leadership this and leadership that, I've got leadership books I read through. And it's always like, take charge, take leadership. You know, it's all good. But at some point in time, we find out that as a leader, you know what a good leader is? Somebody knows how to follow. And God's saying, you want to be a good leader? Why don't you follow my instructions? Here's the third thing I was, as I sort of pick up from reading this is that keep that distance. Stay about a half mile behind the Ark of the Covenant, okay? About a half mile, yeah. So what you're saying, guys, I'm going to follow you, but I make sure I need to keep my distance. In other words, don't be running ahead of God. Don't be running ahead of God. Don't push forward with that control and don't lag behind. Stay in step with God. For those of you that are on the road a lot traveling, just consider it like this. For those of you who like to get about this close to people's bumpers in front of you, okay, because you like, I would really like to read how fast they're driving right now, because they're driving way too slow for me. So if I could just look through their back window and peer in at their dashboard, I bet I can see that they're driving slower than what they need to drive, right? You're driving a little close. So I'm just going to tell you to back off some, right? Okay. So you can't tailgate people, but at the same time, you don't want to be that person that's way behind that person driving really, really slow, because now you've got people behind you that are really honked off at you. Matter of fact, they're probably honking at you right? You've got to keep your distance, but you've got to stay in step when you're driving down the road on the highway with a lot of vehicles and the traffic's moving. You sort of learn that on the highway, right? And God says, hey, I'm sort of seeing the same thing. You need to stay in step with me, okay? Don't be running ahead of me. Don't be too far back legging either. Stay in step with me. Because here's the ark, the symbol of God's presence. And if we go back to Exodus chapter 25, and you read about the Ark of the Covenant. It's about three feet, nine inches long. So it's about almost a little bit longer than a yardstick in length. Okay? And then it's about two feet, three inches wide and high. Covered with gold on the inside, outside, and on the top, there's a lid of pure gold, which two figures sat on top of. These figures were cherubims. They were angels. And their wings, symbolically, were understood as part posted towards each other and upward, and in the middle of the two angels facing each other was the presence of God. The ark was carried by means of poles. There was rings on the side. The poles went through the rings. They carried these, the poles, the Levi priests, and they marched forward with it as they carried this. When the ark set out, carried by the priests, Moses said this, Rise up, O Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. The ark was a symbol of God's presence. If you've got the ark of the covenant, God is with you. So when the people of Israel, Israel set out to cross the Jordan River, the beginning of the invasion of the promised land, God himself said, I will go before you. You're going into territory you've never been. You're going to do things you've never done. You're going to be in places you've never seen with people you don't know. Let me walk before you. And as we find out a lot of times in our lives spiritually, that's uh, sort of a recipe for success. 
God led the way, not Joshua. Matter of fact, it wasn't the engineers and their plans that led the way, nor was it the soldiers and all their supplies and their weapons that led the way. It was God. Here's the next set of instructions. Look at verse 5. Before this happens, though, they say, let's get right with God. Verse 5 says, Joshua told the people to purify themselves. He said, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So that's a big preparation. Guys, God's going to do something awesome with our church, but you better be right with him. Various things made people unclean, and there was outward signs of uncleanliness back then, disease, touching a dead person, childbirth, eating certain foods. They're reminders to the people that they needed to be inwardly clean as well. So there's purification things that took place, washing their clothes, abstaining from certain things. They wanted to make sure they were ready from God. So all this purification was going on amongst the camp, making sure they're clean and ready. There's an interesting passage in Exodus 19 where God gave Moses instructions for the people to purify themselves before he met them on Mount Sinai. God says, before you follow me, before I lead you to a new place in life, here's what's got to happen. You've got to get right with me. You've got to seek forgiveness for certain sins that you're struggling with. You cannot move forward with me if you are still hanging out in Egypt and the sins and the godless gods that are there. Cleanse yourself. Purify yourself. Then move with me. If we want to follow God in mighty ways and in our lives and our worlds, we have to stand before him with purity. We need to get right with God. And then we move as God moves and we follow his lead. Let's look on. Verse 7. Verse 7 said, The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I'm with you just as I was with Moses. And Joshua receives instruction from the Lord. And then God tells Joshua, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to make you great, Joshua. Now, this gets a little sticky because now we start pumping ourselves up and hitting our chest, right? Here's the deal. I believe God's okay with us being great. Of course, there's that balance of humility. Remember that we're created in God's image, according to 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, and that you're a reflection of God, and you and I are to be imitators of Christ, according to Ephesians 5, 1. In Ephesians 2, as we read about getting our lives and being an example of love and grace, he says, you are God's masterpiece. So God doesn't create junk, I believe that. When God creates, what he creates is good. When he created man on that sixth day, he said, God, everything was good, good, good. But after he got done creating man, he said, what? Very good. I believe that he creates us to do great things for him. We're created in his image and a reflection of his glory, a masterpiece. So I believe it's okay to be great, but we have to keep it in balance with humility. And remember that to be great and successful means that we give God the glory, not ourselves. It's not us. And God does this a lot with me. He does a great job of keeping me humble. Not too long ago, I was out of school speaking. I'd been called in. They called me up a month in advance and said, this, we've got this issue going on at our school. We're separating out the girls and we're going to separate out the guys. And we're going to have a little talk with them about what it means to act like a gentleman. What is right and what is wrong? And it's like, I get the opportunity to do that. Awesome. Okay, so I get to go into a public school and talk about the right way for a young man to act. And they wanted me to talk to all the high school boys. So I got in this gym, 
and there's a couple hundred high school boys, and I've got two and a half hours with them. So yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So we did a few different things, broke them into small groups. I got done. Then I took off, headed into a coffee shop, grabbed a coffee, went out, spoke to a team. It's a girls' basketball team. Got done talking to them. Drove over to another school, talked to this guy's basketball team. Got in my vehicle, looked down, and my zipper was down. Rewind, rewind. When's the last time I was in the restroom? Oh, that was way before I talked to those high school boys. That team, that team, that coffee shop. Oh, those ladies I was talking to at the table. 200 high school boys. Oh, if I could just have their Twitter account right now. Praise God for untucked t-shirts. I have no, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, Looked down, I said, okay, so if I was standing this way, I, I don't think so, but how many times do I raise my hands and talk to people? I'm telling you, God keeps me humble, okay? I texted back to one of the kids at that first assembly, said, oh, man, thanks again for the invite to be there. And, um, by the way, did you notice if, and it's like, that is such a weird question to ask a kid, but anyway. Yeah, God keeps me humble. I, so I'm just saying, I believe God's created for greatness, but I also believe this, balance it with humility, okay? Because God gets all the glory. And as soon as we start patting ourselves on the back, man, I did an awesome job today. Woohoo! Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's what God does with me, right? But here's the thing. Everybody wants a great leader, right? They want them with the ability to succeed and to move forward. And the people saw this in Moses. And guess what? They wanted it in Joshua, too. So, hey, Joshua, you the man. I'm the man. My robe's undone. I'm not, you know, yeah. dumb joke. Anyway, but Joshua had those moments where he's probably thinking, God, I'm not worthy. There's no way. So God comes to Joshua and says, just like Moses, I'm going to make you great too. You're going to lead my people. You're going to lead my people. But God reminds him, but you know what? Just remember, I'm giving you the ability to do this, but guess what? You need to understand this. I am greater. I am greater. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord, this is, the Lord will do great things. Not you, Joshua. The Lord will do it. Verse seven, the Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader. Not Joshua, make yourself a great leader. Verse 10, verse 10, today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites. See, the living God is among us, and that's what he wanted Joshua to know. God gives Joshua and his people the confidence to move forward. He says, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. And the first time you get on a roller coaster, the first time you enter into a place you've never been, the first time you have to operate a machine you've never operated before, fill in the blank, okay? First time, okay? Were you nervous? Probably. Was it scary? Absolutely. Joshua's seeing probably the same thing right now. I'm a little nervous, God. God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm alive. I'm with you. I'm not absent, not on vacation. I'm right here. So think about this, believers. We all need to stop whining and complaining and worrying about all of our circumstances and start cheering because the God who is alive today is with us. Amen? God wants to fulfill his covenant promise and he wants to give his people blessing. And he says in verse 10, today you'll know that the living God is among you. 
He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergahites, and all the other Iites that were in there that he listed. And he said, look at verse 11. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. And everybody's like, yes, God's with us. He's in the Ark. It's right there. God's presence is with us. He says, stop thinking about what you have to pack. Consider who's leading, where you're going. This is going to be awesome. God's going to lead the way. He's the Lord of the whole earth. And he even says that, verse 11, the priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Why do you say the Lord of all the earth? Because I believe he's about ready to say, he's the Lord of all the earth, because you're about ready to see something happen to this earth that only the Lord can do. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall, it says. When you sort of read through this and you're sort of reading a story and saying, wow, this is incredible. The priests were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant. Look at verse 17. Stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the water passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. It's like, wow, that's cool. That happened, but you need to back up and read the first part of the story. It says the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, verse 14, went ahead of them. It says, fifth, verse 15, it was a harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. Remember I talked about how it was a fast-flowing river? Like I said, you ever see the Maumee River in flood stage? It makes me nervous. I was there many years ago when Carter and Clay were really little. Colin had a ball game going on, and the boys were young, and, and it was like in between games we had time. It's like, let's go look at the river. They had a little place you could view it. So we got there, and the water was flowing so fast. I was like, I grabbed the boys' hands. I was thinking, that, this is dangerous. This is crazy. Look how fast it's flowing. And again, this is, so this is what's going on. Harvest season, Jordan's overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet, listen to this, as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zerathan. That's about 30 miles away, by the way. And the water below that point flowed to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over on the town of Jericho. So you got to picture this. The Levi priests, they've got the Ark of the Covenant. The water's flowing. I mean, this is a dangerous river. And they're walking into it. He didn't say it dried up and then they started to go. They had a point of faith and trust. You know what? God is with us. This is scary. But we're leading the way. Because why? Because God is actually leading the way. So... They take that ark and says, as soon as the Levites' priest's feet hit the water, the water started to slow down. 30 miles upriver. It's a wall is like built there. And the water slowly goes down. But the Levite priest had to keep walking. So as they're walking, probably strong current, they're noticing that the water's going down. And the water's going down. And by the time they get to the middle of the riverbed, it's all dry. Have you ever walked across a yard when it's rained really heavily and then take a hundred people cross? Now, how about a thousand people cross? It gets messy and muddy. How many times do you read the word dry ground in the scripture? Multiple times. God doesn't just say, I'm with you. I'm gonna show you that I'm with you and do something miraculous that you've never seen before. Don't miss that. Those priests had to be nervous when their feet hit the water. But the water began to slow down to a point where it stopped. It just shows his great power, which is amazing. You know, scientists have tried to explain how that could happen. They can't explain it. I'm not sure on the process. I wasn't there. But, you know, you sort of think about it when it's 30 miles upstream, when that water's slowly drying up, and then they're across. Remember, keep a half mile between the ark and the people. 
So by the time the people see that ark mid-river, half mile apart, we've kept our distance. Now we can start walking across. It's like, this is dry. Are you kidding? We, we were just looking here yes, this morning, this, an hour ago. Ten minutes ago, we just sat here and said, how are we going to get across? This is dry. Those people did not see the Red Sea part. They have no clue. They've never seen that before. This is the first time they've experienced an incredible, miraculous, powerful event of the earth because the Lord of all the earth took care of it. Meanwhile, verse 17, the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The whole nation. Translation, all. So that means everybody, okay? And it says that they crossed on dry ground. I want to go back to this again because the Hebrew word for dry means dry. Okay, let's move on. Imagine them as they got to the western banks of the Jordan and they got over there and they're like, it's dry. It's probably, it's probably getting dusty, as a matter of fact. They get over to the western side, like, this is, oh, man, this moment. Yeah, Woohoo! God just blew up that river. Uh, I mean, can you imagine the celebration and the joy and the excitement? Because they've never seen something like this before. Again, I'm going to ask you to please take off your Sunday school caps, okay? Because a lot of times we come in and we're like, we're reading maybe a different version and the theist and thou and dust. And we're like, hmm, that's very neat how God did all that. Are you kidding me? If you read this in the newspaper, you'd be sending it out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Oh, look what happened. Look what happened. Can you imagine their excitement on something like this? A hundred times greater than anything we've ever witnessed, right? Before the conquering ever begins, God shows up in preparation to remind you, he's God. He's all-powerful. He's with us in all seasons of life. For this reason, we stop, we celebrate, we build a memorial for what God does for us. Look at chapter 4. When the people crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them at a place where you're going to camp tonight. So the one person from each tribe went over to the riverbed. And they, they picked up a stone. Now, I'm not going to embarrass the person who told me this this morning. They said, hey, we got, what's the stones for? I said, you know what? I could have put it out on Facebook this morning, come to church and get stoned. But that would have been a, brought an interesting crowd or something. Or, and, then a, and then this person, they were talking about stoning, like throwing stones. I was thinking, oh, I thought you meant stone. Okay, I, I was sort of lost on that. So miscommunication. But anyway, so now that you know what the stones are about, it has nothing to do with getting stoned <laughs> I'm sorry, neither way. You just never know what's going to happen when we come to this church. Anyway, I need to start this over. So the, the one from each tribe went over to the riverbed and grabbed a stone. They brought their 12 stones back into camp, and they did it in a couple of different places, but they, they built an altar there with their stones. And I love what happens, because it was a great picture that God is with us said, before we go to Jericho, which is a very fortified city built with huge stones, which look like there's no way we can conquer, right? It's a scary move forward into the promised land. It's our promised land, but there's still stuff to do. Before we move forward to that big rock, that big stone, that big fortress, we're going to take these stones and we're going to build a memorial to God. We're going to celebrate. And we're going to remember that if God can stop the Jordan River, 
if God is with us, if God was with us back there, God would be with us over here. And they built that memorial. Today we build memorials, but it's usually to honor somebody who's passed away, right? God says, I want you to build a memorial that shows that I'm alive. Build a memorial to show God's presence and power. You know, we celebrate birthdays and holidays, but what about God's presence and power? How often do we celebrate? I mean, that's part of coming in for worship on Sunday mornings. We come in to sing. That's why I said, who cares how you sing? Sing like a third or fifth grader at a camp, you know, make it loud, make it proud, because what are you doing? You're celebrating God's presence and power when we come together as a church. New decisions are made for Jesus. People are healed. Doctors are amazed. Like, I don't know how it happened, but hey, it's working now. Or the cancer's gone. And we should be doing what? Yes! I know how that happened, because God's alive. The stones not only remind us of God's great power, but his presence in our lives, but they also help us retell the stories. When you read about this, Joshua called the 12 men he chosen, one from each tribe. He said, go in the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord, your God. Each of you must pick up one stone, carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones, all of you. With these stones, we're going to build a memorial in the future. And your children are going to ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them. Dad, what, what do you got on that stone? Let me tell you what this stone reminds me about. And all of a sudden, you're teaching your children and their children's children. So the men did as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night, and they constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. They're there to this day. Verse 10. The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. There was everybody safely on the other side. Priests crossed over the ark of the Lord as the people watched. Verse 12, armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, ready for battle. The Lord was with them as they crossed over to the plains of Jericho. That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites, and the rest of his life they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. It's a great story, right? You go on to read in verse 21 and 23, we hear it again. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future your children are going to ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. He kept it dry until we all crossed, just as he did the Red Sea. And when he dried it up until we'd all crossed over. He did this, listen, he did this so that all the nations might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so you might fear the Lord your God forever. We do this to remember God's presence and God's power. We do this so we can tell our children about what God does in our lives. But we're doing this so people who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't know the God of this universe, will know who God is. It's our witnessing tool. That's why we're doing these stones. And this morning, you're going to take a stone too. This morning, in a little bit, I'm going to have everyone come up here and you're going to grab a stone just for you. And you're going to grab a Sharpie and you might not have time to do it immediately. You might have to think about this and then come back up or after we're dismissed. And you're going to write a word or a phrase from 2015. I already did this at home. I put on their healing. 
I saw God healed my sister-in-law this year in a miraculous way. And that sits on my bedstand next to my picture of my dad to remind me that God is with me. Not just from 2015, 14, 13, but into the future. And I thought about this. I've done this many times, and these are just a few of my journals. And in each of these journals, I can go back and say, oh, back in 19-whatever, back in 2000-whatever, God answered my prayer, right? It's a little hard to put all those journals stacked up on my bedstand. So I'm just going to do a simple stone. And a stone's going to remind me of God's power and God's presence. There's nothing magical about these stones. It's just a reminder, right? of God's presence and power in my life. And then it's also going to be something that when my kids look at it, hey, Dad, remember that stone you wrote in there? Yeah, I said, you remember Aunt Barb? She had a tumor the size of the grapefruit on her brain. They discovered the day of my dad's viewing. They put her in surgery immediately. Remember that, Clay? Yeah. Do you remember how she came out of the surgery pretty successfully? Yeah. Do you remember that even less than six months later, she's already applying for a part-time job and she's functioning like a normal person and that shouldn't be? Yeah, God's good. Is that amen? God is good. Oh, and then, you know what? You always take those stones and maybe move it out of your bedstand, put it at your workplace. So as people who don't know God come walk in and say, what's that all about? I serve a God who's alive. He did something really cool in my life. I just, I need to remember that God's in charge of my life. It becomes a witnessing tool too. I want to encourage you as we go to do this. Think about where you're at right now. Some of you might be right now just standing in front of your Jordan River, your big obstacle in life, saying, God, how am I going to get through this? I've got an addiction right now that I'm having a hard time beating. God, can you help me with this? God says, yeah, I set you free. I can set you free. Maybe somebody's in this room today, it's like, I've never asked Christ to be a part of my life. I, I've never confessed with my mouth. I never believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe today's the day you're free and you find salvation. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship and you're looking at that Jordan River, you're looking at your relationship saying, how will we ever fix this in our life? How will I find forgiveness? How can I forgive somebody else? That's, maybe that's your Jordan River this morning. Can I just share this with you? God is ready to dry up that river and make it so you can walk across into his promised land, into freedom. But you've got to trust him. You've got to let him lead your life. I want to read this psalm to you. Psalm 107. In psalm 107. As I read this, I want you to just think right now about as you come up here to grab your stone in a little bit, what is it that God did in your life last year to remind you that he's with you right now, to remind you that he's going to be with you as you move into the promised land? Just think about it. Maybe pray about it as I'm reading this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he's redeemed you from your enemies. He's gathered the exiles from many lands, from the east, the west, north, and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry, thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety. 
to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom and prison and iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That's why he broke them with hard labor. They fell. No one was able there to help them. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he's done for them. For he broke down the prison gates of bronze. He cut apart the bars of iron. Some were fools. They rebelled. They suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food. They were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. Let them offer sacrifices and thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Some went off to the sea in ships, plying the trade routes for the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action his impressive work on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens, plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and they staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to whisper. He stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he's done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nations. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He turns a fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water, the dry lands into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and build their cities. They sow their fields, they plant their vineyards, they harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. They raise large families there and their herds of livestock increase. And when they decrease in number and become impoverished through oppression, trouble and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt on their princes, causing them to wander in trackless wastelands. But he rescues the poor from trouble and increases the family like flocks of sheep. The godly will see these things and be glad, while the wicked will be struck silent. For all those, listen to me as I close on this last verse, for all those who are wise, take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of our Lord. In all those circumstances, God rescued. God rescued. In all honesty, you all know you've been rescued, either in salvation or from sin or from sickness. God's been active in your life this last year. So let's celebrate that this morning. As we move forward into this new year, as we move forward in things we've not seen, let's celebrate that God goes with us. Pastor Dave's going to play a song as he plays a song. We're just going to back away here and come on up, grab a stone, grab a Sharpie, write a word on there. If you can't think of the word right now, just wait for a little bit. But grab a stone and make sure you do that. Once you all have your stones and you're back to your seats, we'll close with a song. Right? Let me pray for you before you move. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for this story and this reminder that you are with us. 
and you go before us, no matter what the obstacles are gonna come our way, you dry them up and you rescue us. God, for the person that's in this room today that maybe they don't know you, today would be an awesome day to be free, to know you personally. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us, Lord, of the wrong things we've done. Forgive us. Come into our lives, Lord. We want to make you Lord. God, thank you for freeing us from addictions in our life. Thank you for freeing us from sickness. Thank you for showing us that you are alive. So God, as we move forward, may this be a proclamation as we grab our stones to sit there and say, God, you're alive. You're alive and you're with us. It's my proclamation. I will tell my children and my grandchildren. I will tell people that I know. Whenever they look at the stone, they'll see you are alive. We love you, Lord. In the name we pray, amen. Come forward and grab stones, please.